This podcast is proudly brought to you by Nuova Simonelli. Hello and welcome to Tampa Tantrum episode. I don't know what episode it is, so I'm just going to say episode the 70. Because um, we don't know when we'll put this out. Uh, and this week I'm not joined by Colin. I'm joined by somebody far more intelligent, handsome, clever, smart, interesting. Um, that could be anybody. But I- I'm joined by Darren, uh, Darren Daniels. Uh, hi, Darren. Hi, how are you doing? Welcome. Uh, yeah, Glad to be here. Welcome to. Burundi. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what I was going to kind of say. It's like we're also in Africa, which is kind of a bit weird. Um, but uh, been part of the Cup of Excellence jury, and uh, Darren's been putting up with me. I mean, looking after me um, while we've been doing the Cup of Excellence here, and we've just finished. We've just finished the award ceremony. So any rattling poles and things of them dismantling all of the uh, uh, what do you call those? Tents, tents, yeah, yeah giant yeah. tents um, that they're doing there. And he, Darren's very like he knows the drill with Tampa Tantrum that we've started with a whiskey, um, <laughs> just to smooth the conversation along and ease your pain. And um, so, for people who don't know who you are, who are you? Well, how do you like? Wh- wh- what is your story in coffee? I think is. Uh, yeah, well, um, my story starts in, on the West Coast in uh, Oregon. Actually, I, I kind of started working as a barista in the mid to late 80s for a small craft company. Are they are they still around? Are they? Uh, they, you know, actually the gentleman, Paul Layton's a, a trader, coffee trader now with Cape Horn. Uh, He's got a great surname. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Isn't that great? It's so perfect. Yeah. You're not related? Maybe you are. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know many. I don't. I didn't know a Layton in coffee, yeah. so... Yeah. so Paul Layton, so he was, what was the shop called? Uh, Coffee Corner Limited. Okay. Uh, started in around 75, right around the time that, you know, kind of Pete's was going, Starbucks was going. They had a little thing going in, in Eugene, Oregon, wow. little, little cafe, roastery operation. And uh, he and his wife had a nice little uh, wholesale retail business and got out of high school and got into the barista life. And that was a way to move through into college and have, have a job and that led to apprenticing with with their head roaster at the time, uh, Michael Finney, who's gone on to do Full City Roasters, still okay. still around in Eugene, Oregon, and worked with them. And um, that was about three or four years of, of working between being a bar manager, a roaster's assistant, uh, doing green blending, cleaning the roaster when they didn't want to clean it, which was a lot, <laughs> doing all their cold brew extracts, which even back then, cold brew was actually happening. No one even knows about that. But uh, so, you, so you were, you, you, it wasn't your plan to get into coffee. It was to fill a hole at, while you were studying. Yeah, yeah, I was studying literature and English. Your and parents must be so proud. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah, and and uh, coffee just kept grabbing me back, and an English degree didn't really wasn't going to probably pay the bills, but the, <laughs> the coffee gig was working out, and I enjoyed it. I, I always loved it, had a passion for it, was pretty geeky in high school, had a little espresso machine in high school my senior year. My parents thought that was a little weird that I had a little plug-in, you know, old Italian, you know, steam-up espresso machine, but I just, yeah, I just always loved that, that part of uh, the business, the flavor side of it, and, and it's kind of culture. strange. So, like when I was a kid, I, like when I was seven years old, I've told this story a million times, and people will be bored of it now. <laughs> but like for Christmas, my mum said, "Oh, what do you want?" And I wanted one of the filter hot plates glass jug machines for Christmas <laughs> and because my mum is a bit crazy uh, still is a bit crazy she was like yeah okay and she bought me this filter maker like, and I, kids at school thought I was pretty weird too yeah. but then I was seven years old you were, yeah. you were a teenager seven that, yeah you obviously had an early an early direction yeah yeah well I, I don't want this to be anything, but I, I was walking past we used to have this shop in Wolverhampton near to where I lived that had a roaster in the cellar and you walk past and smoke would be coming out the floor. And a seven-year-old sees smoke coming out the floor. I was like, what's that? Check that out, <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, and yes, but this is, this is about you. So you were working as a barista, got into roasting. Like, what was the, what would you see as your first, I don't want to say barista isn't a grown because of course it is, but sure. what was your first, like, this could be a career job. Yeah, well, I think um, Allegro Coffee, kind of to jump up to, you know, the mid-90s, I was working with them as a trainer and doing education and training. And that was primarily espresso, you know, uh, brewer training, espresso training, um, category training for what was Whole Foods at that point. They were, you know, kind of working with them, um, training their staff. And I really loved that educational part of it. 
and that I kind of a history buff and uh, love love I was already kind of interested in travel so I thought oh, well these things all seem to kind of be fitting together that you know if I keep going at this that this training education might lead to to potentially getting into the buying world of coffee or at least what I thought that would look like which would be oh it must be fascinating and travel and all that stuff so that that training job kind of solidified what I what I knew I was probably going to do um, it led it led to working with Illy Cafe in Seattle, also as a trainer and educator and a technician. So I was doing like a lot of technical work, you know, basically fixing espresso machines, fixing brewers. Um, but the educational part of it was what I was really most excited about. And eventually I got my way back to Allegro around 1999. And uh, that was a full-on training job. And it also led me into the cupping room. And that was kind of where that just started to kind of come together on um, the sensory side and learning about, you know, buying and trade so I'm, I'm intrigued personally of working for big companies like like Allegra who are, you know I think we can all agree are, you know they are in the specialty they're, they're in that specialty place but they were doing it on a massive scale and you know Illy as commercial as they are you know they 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 buy good coffees. Like mm. we know the coffees and the farms that they're buying from, and they're, they're coffees that a lot of specialty, you know, buyers are, are working with too. What's it like to work for those big organisations where there's a pull of commerce and making money, but there's also the mm. pull of quality and making it work for what their customers are expecting? Yeah, you know, there was so much rapid growth. Um, maybe not so much with Illy. Illy was already pretty solidified. You know, the 1996 to 1999 that I worked with them. Uh, Allegro went through rapid growth because I worked for them before Whole Foods acquired them and then after and everything started speeding up and that is the huge challenge to hold on to quality, hold on to relationships. Um, that, that to me, the balancing act of that is the hardest part. And you know, they started out as a small little boulder company mm. doing, you know, just exactly like the company I worked for in, in Oregon. It, super tiny and um, you know kind of focused on certain origins and coffees they wanted to do primarily single origins and you saw that over time the single origin focus and the blend thing that that's one component of you know that that resistance to change and yet you know it it, it is one of the factors of, of working with a bigger company um, also I think the focus on you know how you have to kind of look at numbers and not you know, and I'm not saying that that's not a good thing because that can be effective in terms of getting farmers higher prices. If you're really good with your numbers, then hopefully you can manage your business better. Well, I, but, I, mean, I think, you know, look at companies like Intelligentsia and Stumpton, who I'm sure we'll get on to later. Yeah, from yeah. You know, that are very much paying super prices for their coffee, but they're only doing that because their numbers are working the other end. It's... Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I think... You know, there, there's a little bit, there's the benefit of the lift and the growth that gives you the, you know, and Allegro had every opportunity to just kind of do whatever it kind of wanted to do because it's like, don't change the mojo, don't change the magic. And that's exactly, I'm sure, exactly what's happening with Stump and Intelli. And, did, you know. did Whole Foods ever put any any pressure on to change what Allegro was doing? Because, I mean, they were, they, they, they were the driving force for that growth. I mean, I, 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 for instance, exactly. I remember in the, uh, the store that they opened in London, they had a little roaster where they roasted in store with it. I mean, did yeah. that cause pressure and, and difficulties in the company? Uh, I, I think as we expanded our footprint, we became more recognized and understood to be something that was a subsidiary, was something that like, okay, what's going on there? But overall, left alone, for the most part, like you guys are the coffee experts, you know, we bought you because you're focused on organics, which is a huge and continues to be a big part of what they do. And so I think, you know, there was a lot of license to, to, to kind of move that forward. But I, I you know, again, at, at certain critical points, it gets harder to advance the things that you want to do, you know, and I mean that from like wearing my coffee buyer hat, like that, you know, I'm, I'm looking at things that to me are beneficial to supply chain. And, you know, hopefully expanding uh, what you want to do, where you want to work, because you, you see the impact that you're having, whether it's working in Africa or working in countries that you think are deserving, have the great coffee, have the, the they need that attention, you know. I it's remember like having a conversation with, is, was it Chrissy? I'm saying Christy. Christy, yeah. Christy, yeah, yeah. Um, where, in Bolivia about like how the growth of, uh, of Allegra, you know, and I was like, how's that affected? Because at the time, we were like, tiny, tiny roaster. 
and she was saying like it's kind of hard but it's really cool that you can make all of those differences that, or you know buy the amounts of coffee that really do change people's lives you know buying 10 bags or something you know, and, and a cup of excellence is a great example you know buying a cup of excellence lot is a fantastic thing but unless it turns into something else afterwards that is a long term relationship yeah. which I'm, I'm sure we'll go into after but like being able to go to a producer and say I'll buy your entire crop that must be an amazing feeling as a buyer and, and, and I mean Allegra were doing that at the time yeah right? and still and still does and I, I mean that that is actually the, was the biggest thing uh, to be able to, to uh, work with leadership there and say you know we can go in and buy two or three containers from this group in Mexico and we can set aside 50, 75 bags do something special and we can actually you know uh, propose a plan that will actually help on the financial side and and have the company say yeah go for it so the leverage yeah the leverage and that's exactly what she's talking about is that there's buying leverage and um there's ways to be creative about buying qualities based on that yeah and and in a lot of different ways that plays out to the benefit of farmers and um so but she's right it's hard it, it's hard but at the same time there there is a lot of a, a license to like okay we're gonna go in big with this group because we know we can, you know, one, have big impact, but also, um, you know, have a place to funnel it. It, it. You know, it's not like we're going to, what do we do with it now? You know, we, we, we made all these promises now we can't keep because the, the volume was there and continues to be there. So, but yeah, yeah, it's a little bit of a juggle. Yeah. yeah. So, so when you went back to Allegro, what, what did you go, what was your role when you first went back? So I, um, I had, so I worked for Stumptown for a couple of years, so yeah. uh, I had left there as director of uh, buying. Their, their head a buyer, Aleko Chagonis, had moved on to do his own thing um, and then had come back. And that was in a director role. Aleko, I mean, Aleko is like, he's that bad penny that you throw him away and he'll always come back. Yeah, yeah. So I, yeah, I just. Um, I had an opportunity to be on the leadership team and be in a director role, and uh, that oversaw tea and coffee, which I was doing tea and coffee buying for them. So that was, to me, that was very comfortable and mm -hmm. um, easy for me to kind of uh, jump back into that role. Colorado was certainly where my kids had been raised and spent a lot of time there. So, so that was kind of a no-brainer. It was not easy to leave Stumptown because it was there was again a lot of exciting growth. It felt similar to Allegro in some ways, kind of going back historically in time. Yeah. Um, but that that's what kind of led me to go back was that that opportunity for a director role which is what christie's job was that right you know, that, that right. area so yeah 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 so, so just going back to the stump town so we shouldn't really scare to go i mean i remember when you were at stump town the coffee the coffee man the coffee film the oh film yeah the, coffee the, yeah and yeah. you're in there that was when you were at stump town yes it? it was yeah 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 i mean that looked like super exciting what you were doing it's particularly as I say that growth was there at right. stump town yeah and i think it's fair to say that Dwayne doesn't really give a shit about what he pays for coffee. As long as if he wants it, he'll he'll have it, and yes. it's his. Yeah, um, and and um, that that is a true thing. And I I remember him, you know, right when I got on board, coming to me and saying, "You're going you're going to Guatemala next week. You're going to see Arturo. Um, give him my best, and the checkbook is open." And and you know he's giving me that big smile, and I'm like, okay, yeah, I got it, I got it, you know. Yeah. Um, that that's always been his approach. Is you know the, this we go in kind of big, and we want to we want to you know, and they, they certainly did change the game in a lot of countries in terms of, you know, what pre whether you want to call it direct trade or not, it, it was certainly uh, direct in terms of like I want this, and I'm going to make sure I get it, and and I'm I'm happy to to, to pay. Uh, you know, whatever, whatever it takes. You know, I think that I think everybody been... has a Dwayne story, <laughs> yeah, and I, yeah. I've got to spit my Dwayne story out yeah, because no, it was my it. first ever trip to Origin, and it was Cup of Excellence. I think it was 2004, and it was in Nicaragua. And so at the time, I was still working full time and running a tiny like roaster in the back of my garage operation. Right. And somehow, Cup of Excellence invited me to come and do a jury. I'm like okay <laughs> and I was sitting on my balcony and it was like these little huts and I just looked to my left and sitting on the balcony to my left was Dwayne Sorensen and I just went <laughs> yeah. hey and I was like hello I'm good to go in here now <laughs> and then we were sitting in the cup in the next day and I, I said something I said a cup in descriptor that had come up and both Dwayne and Jeff were sitting in the room and both went yeah 
no, that's what it, and it was just like my moment of like, and I was I was waiting for them to go fraud, but they said yes, and like the most genuinely like welcoming, warm person to somebody who had no experience in the industry at all, yeah. first time at Origin, you know, was was very new to buying coffee, and was just so sharing and giving, um, you know, and particularly Dwayne, I always remember he's just like so warm and just full of advice, um, yeah. and yeah, really really nice guy. Um, so how did that how did that the film about coffee thing come about because I'm always interested like, did they ring up Stumptown and go can we follow somebody please or? yeah no, it was a really interesting story there was a, uh, a fellow that worked for Stump Travis that was in San Francisco and he called me he was kind of doing some kind of advanced work like if we were going to open the market there go down and check it out work on our wholesale accounts and he's like hey I've got this friend Brandon Loper that um, lives in San Francisco and he's he's a big four barrel fan and um ritual fan and you know all all the bay area companies that are kind of happening and were happening at that point and he's like he's you know he's making this film and and i'm like oh yeah well great you know that's cool and and they're like yeah they, they want to focus on stomp and and i'm like okay um and they they, they um you know they, they want you to do this ethiopian uh, the company they want you to do this ethiopian thing and i'm like well that that sounds interesting i've got to talk to some of the folks you know matt lonsberry and other people and clear it with them and and uh they're like okay well you know yeah sure yeah we you know find out more about what what he's up to and we kind of got more idea of you know focusing on the barista culture the 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 buying culture and just kind of gluing it all together and in, in, in that format and then he gave me the dates and he was i, I think he was expecting uh, his wife was due and I, and i'm like well there's nothing going on in Ethiopia on those dates. And it was like June, you know, or May. And I'm like, there's absolutely nothing that you're, you know, if you're looking to see harvesting and processing, it's not going to happen. And they're like, well, that it's just got to. And I'm like, well, you're going to have to wait till next year. And, and then I said, but what about Rwanda? And they're like, well, yeah, that we really had a heart set on the birthplace and Ethiopia. And I go, I get it. I understand why. But Rwanda has an amazing story. And Rwanda is very important to Stumptown. And I think that we could do something really special there. Why don't, we, why don't you at least consider it? And the timelines are perfect. So that was kind of how Brandon and I started talking about it. And, you know, I think the whole time until the day they got to Kigali, there was a little bit like, we'll see how this goes. And within a day or two, once we were in Batare and, you know, Huye and working with David, uh, the owner of Huye Mountain, um, they were just like, this is this is great. And I'm like, I'm telling you, I told you it's going to be really great. And we we're so proud to work here. And so that's kind of how, how it happened. And, and of course, you know, um, kind of my Dwayne story was like, you know, they, they really didn't want me around. They were like, you know, would Dwayne host us? And I'm like, well, I, I could, I'll give him a call. And, and he's like, I'm kind of busy, you know, and I, I the buyer Dwayne was kind of done with that stuff by then. Yeah. As well, wasn't yeah. He? he was like, I, you know, I, and he's not, he's not interested in the, the cameras, so to speak, you know, he's pretty low profile, and and um, so he's like, yeah, you're the buyer, you you know, you should go, and and so that's that's kind of how all of that, got, you know, that whole Rwanda component and, and and going got started, and and we we just became great friends during the the journey there, and they, you know, it, it it was it was great, and I think I moved on to Uganda at the end of the filming, they stayed there and then went back, so it was kind of yeah, so that that's was great. Kind of I actually heard this story from Brandon. Oh, uh, nice. So oh, we yeah. spent two weeks traveling Asia with Tampa Tantrum. We did like uh, Busan, Shanghai, and then Taipei. Oh, cool. And oh. Uh, he, we took the film, he, like, he was part of the, 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 the deal with WCE that we took it around and did the film. And I, I remember this story, I was like, like, how did you, this come together? And he really ended up telling me exactly the same story. He's like, really wanted to go to Ethiopia. <laughs> I know, like, <laughs> but he, another movie about Ethiopia. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but like, he ended up loving loving Rwanda, which is which is an amazing place. Um, and you're right, that story is actually for me, it's less cliche and it's more, I don't know, it's more uplifting. And except yeah. from that devastation that happened there, to the you know the the, the miracle that's happening in the coffee industry there is just phenomenal it's, yeah. it's really yeah. really amazing yeah so you you left Stumptown mm -hmm. you went back to Allegra <laughs> yeah. um, then what happens like well so around uh, to the end of 2016 um, there were some changes going on with with uh, Whole Foods and Allegro and uh, uh, at the same time there was kind of some bubbling up of a director position opening because Susie had been the interim director which I kind of wasn't really fully aware of what was going on with 
um, her being in the interim role, and I didn't really know the previous ED, but, you know, again, job was out there. I was planning to make a change and transition out and um, started doing some consulting around, you know, October, November, towards the end of the year. Um, and I thought, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna give Jeff Watts a call. He's, he's the chair of the board. Yeah. See, uh, get a little bit more information about this job, and that would have been around November. And it was true, yeah, they were definitely looking for someone and someone that must live in Portland. That was really an important part of the, the job. And I'm like, I just left Portland and left <laughs> Stumptown to come back to Colorado. And, you know, my wife and I, we have three boys in different grades of school. And I'm like, oh, boy, you know, I, you know, Susie and I talked and Jeff and I talked. And it's like, you know, I just don't know if that. So, so, we, so how long's Montana been in Portland? <laughs> yeah. I'm sure it's not. Yeah. My most US geography is awful, but yeah. like there's this <laughs> weird state in between it. You know, this is a very thin little place called well, the top part of Idaho. But um, you're, no, you're right. You're right. And I, I, you know, Debbie, you know, previous director was, yeah. you know, she was there, and and I, I think that they they wanted the cohesion and that that you know, ideally, your this is what your ideal is is to have that. But then, you know, both Jeff and Susie said, you know, most important is someone that is going to be. The right person, you know, in any role like that, you're looking for that right role, you know, the person to take on the role. And so we kind of just talked, and then I said, well, you know, I'm doing some other consulting for another group on sustainability and verification work, and, um, you know, let me know if anything changes. And then uh, right around the end of December, they were like, you know, we've all been talking about it, we're talking with the board, um, we, we really feel good about you know, at least going through the interview process and moving forward. And I'm like, well, I'm definitely ex- very excited if, if it's... If, and I grew up in the Oregon area and Portland and, you know, I have a lot of family and friends, so I, we knew that we could make it kind of work in terms of, you know, I'm not going to live in a hotel when I'm out there and going back and forth. So that part's been uh, very, very easy. And once we got through that process uh, around January, early January, you know, the job was offered to me and, and I, I gladly, excitedly took it on knowing that you know there's some some work and some restoration to to get the program back to where it needs to be and beyond but uh but that was kind of yeah that was kind of the transition and you know the ed role had when Susie initially um retired um i i was really interested in the position and i was mm. at allegro at that point and i did not seek it out but i was really curious about you know, who is going to take on this legacy? Could have made your job a whole lot easier if you had. I know. <laughs> you know but, uh, but, um, but, yeah, so obviously for the last four years it had been on my radar. And I'm like, okay, this is never probably going to pop up again if I don't seek it out. And the timing, you know, kind of the, the, the doors open at the right time. So that's kind of, um, yeah. That's I mean, I, I, I guess the, the whole, I don't know how much you can say about this and you can just say, oh, I can't see it, but like... Uh, I mean, what happened in that new executive director coming in to the chaos that happened a little bit afterwards, you know, with Susie having to come back and sure. take the reins? Of, because, I mean, when Susie handed it over, I think Club of Excellence was in a fairly healthy state. You know, it was growing. There were new programs coming on. I think membership appeared to be growing from what I could yeah, see. Yeah. Prices were rising. Yeah. So I, what, what happened? Yeah, I... Yeah, you know, I, I do think that there were some, and I totally can talk about it, yeah, I, I, I do think that there were some plans that were part of the growth that, you know, involved, you know, expanding the Portland office and uh, developing a lab, and that was, you know, and that is where we're currently at, but that was in conjunction with uh, CQI and SCA, yeah. and that was a, a master plan for that all to happen, and that that didn't happen, and, and I think that... Um, not that that would have really changed any of the um, the, the, the growth um, stuff, but I think that we probably assumed that the lab would be much more busy because we would have, you know, the two other entities kind of in, in tow yeah. and working all together. Um, so that, that would have really helped to, um, you know, finance the lab in a lot of ways. And so when that didn't happen, that was a little bit of a, okay, that's a little bit of a setback. And then at the same time, there was a sense that we were working in countries where it was very difficult um, and that why don't we execute in where we can work. And so let's reduce and take a, take a break so that we can really execute in these five countries and then come back the following year or the year after that. The problem with that was that that meant that the licensing to do these programs in the other four to five countries ceased. And we also, at the same time, a decision was made to increase the membership dues. And that was a negative, just negatively received because you had 
uh, you had members, devoted members, yourself and other other you know longtime partners that were like, you're cutting my program in half, and you're going to double my membership fee, and the reaction was immediate. It was uh, membership started going down. People were very upset, very vocal, and um, then we were kind of in recovery mode, and then all of a sudden, a few months later, that's when the decision was made for Susie to come back and just restore. And and so, I mean, in a very quick well, amount of time... in the hard drive. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, right in the driver's seat, you know, and um, and very challenging time to come back and, and, and look at some of the, um, you know, kind of the deficiencies because of those countries that weren't... And it wasn't just that. I think the membership was probably even more uh, a painful loss certainly the countries and you know people were very vocal in El Salvador here um, everywhere we, we I dropped think, out I think a lot of it I mean I, I, I was one of the people who were very vocal as you know and, yeah, and, yeah. and, and I, I think the thing that annoyed me and made me angry the most was the way it was communicated because it was communicated to I mean I, I know from people at the Conciejo bound out from the email that came as the press release yeah and producers had got lots set aside for that year that they couldn't you know then were like oh well, what am I going to do with this yeah, now? Yeah. Um, and it was also, it was just like, it, it seemed like it was, um, and I know it isn't because I know the people who were involved at board level. Like, I, I know the majority of them to be awesome people. Like, you are blessed with an amazing board. Yeah, yeah, but it just seemed like almost like, a, well, we're going to do this. And there was no consultation. Like, I, I threw out the True. idea that, okay, we can't hold this in the countries. Let's do it at SCA. Mm. And let's just have some cupping rooms and do three countries in a cupping room and there's still an auction of some kind. Yeah, or, I remember. Yeah. Being, yeah, and it was yeah. just it was just like nothing... It didn't feel like anything had been explored and the membership hadn't been asked um, yeah. about what to do. And I, and I think the communication of what happened at that time was was kind of lacking. I mean, yeah. is that yeah. something that, that like... I mean, a leading question here. Yeah, yeah. But like, I mean, is communication something that, like, you think within the organisation can be improved? And like, reaching out to members and like, I know we've had yeah. an exchange of emails about this, and I've been talking to Sherry as well, and there's been a really lovely yeah. exchange of emails about mm. you know working this out, and I've been talking to Susie as well, and it seems like there's been a massive change in the last 12, 12 months, yeah, and a push to talk more to members. Yeah, I think I think. Uh, the disclosure of everything that we do to members, uh, you know, that, that's applicable to, to the membership that impacts their ability to leverage what they are assuming COE to be for them and the growers that they're connected to uh, has to be out there. I, I um, you know, I think that there was a different uh, attention to what, uh, how a corporation works or a business works or even a nonprofit works, um, way different style that was happening and so that you know that's just off that's that that is gone and my approach has been uh from the very beginning that uh we have to embrace the people that we that we most need to support farmers and members and and that has to come through if it means disclosing you know minutes for meetings and um you know letting people know where things are at and decisions that are being made uh i in and in and you know we both know from just looking at some of the things rule changes with barista competitions and why are these things communicated the way that they are yeah. I've seen it play out in so many ways and it's just so much easier to just be like we want to make a decision we think this is where we're going to go but before we do it we need to like and if it's a big one you know I think bringing on like good example we, we we're going to do Peru as a pilot program and midway through this year we decided we're just going to go full board and and we'll probably make some mistakes along the way but it's if it was a pilot or a real program, um, we'll own it, and we'll and and we announced to members we're going to do this, and we're going to we're going to put this out there, and you know fingers crossed that this is going to be a great COE in Peru. It's a first ever, um, but I think if we just kind of didn't say anything and then just it kind of turned into it, um, what do you mean after the fact? I couldn't have gotten on a jury or you know like it you know because it was a pilot, the jury um, signups weren't the same because it would have been an invite thing only and then you know we're well, we also looking to invite the right kind of people who will buy those lots at the place because you're not going to have an auction if it's a pilot and, yeah and you know, Bolivia was very, that way it yeah. was kind of like you know I think there was kind of like you know we need to really get the right blend so to speak of people that are going to come on to that that first year and then there's all this attention and focus and then we can kind of blow it up again the next year and so you know I, we just I think we definitely need to do more in terms of how we communicate um, to, to members. And I think that uh, in this age where uh, people are just getting hit over the head with 
the social media aspect and the email aspect that, you know, we've been trying to be careful about not um, almost kind of diffusing our own message by over communicating mm-hmm. too. So there, there's a little bit of that. But as far as like the real nuts and bolts of it, yeah, yeah, I think I think we need to be more clear. And, and you know, the board represents through their own membership um, disclosure. And I mean, even like, you know, financial disclosure to where things are going and, and working very closely with, with the chair, Will, from Campos and and um, who's kind of taken over for Jeff and, and Jeff's role. And so instead of it just being a treasurer, you know, director relationship, I've been kind of, you know, kind of fanning it out more within the board and saying, you know, you guys all run really great businesses too. So it would be very helpful if you're going to help me and how we do our, our directions based on finances and, and you know, if we're going to take any big directional growth, what, you know, is that the right way to go? Or, or seeking advice from other, you know, groups. I, I know um, CQI and I have talked a lot about, you know, how could we work together and David Roach and, you know, not so much together, but like projects that might overlap. And, I remember and so, sitting in a board meeting in 2008 where um, Ted Lingle came in to the board to do, talk about uh, Q and Cup of Excellence working together. It's one of the most amusing meetings I've ever sat in. <laughs> I'll imagine. tell you the story after we've turned <laughs> okay. the recordings off, but it's amazing. And, and, like, I remember Susie just sitting there like, she just went white and then very angry. <laughs> white <laughs> and red. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to match the yeah, hair. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, it was, uh, it was very, very interesting. So what is your job? I, I mean, I, I kind of see, sure. I've, I've had a good insight because I've, yeah, I've been on the board and yeah. I've seen Susie doing the job and things. But to people listening, what is your day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month? Sure, sure. Well, the core, the core of the, the you know the director role is to focus on all things Cup of Excellence, and and that means program management, uh, working with my team, which is you know our, our membership um, liaison um, that you know we work very closely with Lori and and and, and you know my, the staff that we have, and um, and that you know to me membership is such a big part of the operational aspect of COE because without the membership we can't really run the programs. Um, and uh, so that, that's a big part of it. And then that extends out to the country coordinators. So basically the program managers that we work with and closely, you know, kind of administering the program, um, working with other agencies that are connected to those, you know, like the consejos and the e-cafes and, and whether they're connected to any other, um, you know, like, for instance, here with the, you know, World Bank and the Ministry of Ag, working with some of the other actors that are involved in, in that. And so there's some of that kind of political finessing and um, uh, contract work and making sure that we're really getting, you know, working ourselves out, working our, ourselves out to the next year, planning ahead for 18, looking at that kind of that future. Um, obviously, working with the board on on uh, growth um, aspects. Uh, one of them is foundation work, trying to look look at uh, one of the things that Susie's been as a founder and now kind of basically um, kind of a advisor to the board and an advisor to me uh, is working on um, some projects that she always wanted to do. So I'm kind of working with her on that, which is basically a pre-financing structure for farmers. So that uh, the big the big problem that we see is uh, there's a disconnect between the time of the auction and the payment. So if farmers were paid from national to international jury, we would then be able to advance a pre-finance amount of money that they would have in advance of the auction results. And so that would be a revolving credit. Mm. So she and I have been working very closely to see, could we work with other uh, institutional foundations to fund a nonprofit project where that money would go into a certain country and it would revolve the next year. So it would just build on itself. And then when the auction happens, the, the credit's offset by whatever the results were. But we would see farmers wanting to get more involved if they thought, I don't have to wait 30, 40, 50 days to, to find out. I'll get a base, you know, a premium plus price and then whatever the, the diff is between those then I, then, then I make that up and and so that's a big thing that uh, she and I've been working on um, well, it's a fairly easy thing to underwrite as well isn't it because you know when you've got a base price of four dollars a pound you know yeah and, and nothing ever doesn't sell like right. you don't ever yeah, end up with a lot it's, you're like this so if you just went there's four dollars you know yeah. somebody yeah. must be able to underwrite that and, and want to be part of it because it sounds like a super smart idea to yeah get more participation more quality more samples yeah. you know yeah and, and more successful for the organizers yeah. in country. yeah uh, and I guess the other aspect is just advancing the program um, you know in, in that marketing 
capacity. So there's, you know, there's membership management, there's program management, and then there's just development and, and uh, promotion around that. So I think I'm overseeing most of those aspects. And then the other part of, uh, uh, you know, my responsibilities is overseeing the Cupper Camp program that, you know, Sherry is running and as director of education and training, she's uh, administering these programs in various countries. And that's to develop, you know, Cupper's um, uh, within a producing country and a producing country, and with the idea that we would develop, you know, really good national juries based on that training and education, and then also, um, you know, hopefully get consuming countries that are that are interested in getting on juries and interested in, you know, being buyers, and so they're they're kind of overlapping programs. So you know, just overseeing the, those things, and the and the day to day is just making sure it's you know a, a lot of it comes down to logistical timing for like we said earlier today about. It's running events, it's par partially it's an event structure, but it's also a proposition for growth for growers and countries. And so there's a lot of hats to wear, even though it's a small, you know, Well, I've seen you with those many hats on this week, <laughs> you know. First you're chatting to the jury, then you're chatting to the Minister of Agriculture, then you're chatting to somebody about where's the food and why isn't it here for the, <laughs> yeah. for the jury members. It's Hospitality. Like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It, it is, it's, it's crazy the amount of things that are on, you know, kind of seem to, to fall on your plate when you're here yeah I mean are, are there any times where you're just thinking geez am I just babysitting these people or <laughs> yeah I you know having done a lot of trips in the past taking uh, multiple groups to origin the cat herding thing it, 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 I think some some of it's kind of a natural and and uh, I, I yeah it's it's tiring shepherding water yeah it. yeah <laughs> it's right it's like you know between the finger water uh, deal but uh, but yeah, there is I do kind of like the chaos a little bit so I think I think I, I like the fact that there's a lot of different channels you're kind of you know going through it to to run something and and it's very different than being a coffee buyer um, but I will say as a coffee buyer that in one given day you could be involved in so many different conversations between an exporter, a grower, uh, other NGO people, um, and just you, you kind of collide into things, sure. and especially like a country like Ethiopia, where it's just there's, it's just a constant um, barrage of like, okay, now I'm, now I'm going to be talking to this person about this or that, and which is you know pretty exciting. So, but yeah, yeah, de definitely a lot, a lot of things to it. So, um, yeah, that, I guess that's a, one of the day-to-day. -day. <laughs> um, something I wanted to ask you about, and I think it's really interesting because I, I think it's really exciting and really dangerous at the same time, is that you are going to be doing your award, you're going to be having a separate auction uh, right. following alongside the Burundi auction of lots that didn't quite make it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think it's really exciting because I, I've seen so many coffees that have dropped out of competitions that I really liked. Yeah. And I would have loved an opportunity to buy them. But there's also the danger of devaluing the Cup of Excellence brand. And I know you're calling them Ace. Yeah. But it's yeah, still Ace's Cup of Excellence. So, I mean, sure. how are you going to manage that? Do you see any problems coming forward with that? Um, you know, right when I started, I was getting feedback back um, from various folks that, you know, are, um, you know, very close to the organization that voice the same um, concern of how are we, how are you doing this? Because it seems like it's confusing. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, okay, I'll admit that it's confusing to me coming from someone that was a member when there was no national winners program. There was no program of 84 to 85.99 copies, but there always was a back channel, right? There was always a group of buyers that were like, I can't believe that didn't get in. And whose coffee is that? I remember buying a potato lot from Rwanda <laughs> that was just the best coffee, one well, of like, the best Rwandan I'd ever tasted in my life. Yeah. And it was just like, whose is this coffee? Tell me now. And I managed to get the information out and got it exported. Yeah. And, and like, it was a great coffee. But, yeah. Uh, and th 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 those coffees are still amazing. They've been pre selected. By you know some very talented couples, we've seen the national jury yeah. here. It was super talented. Like yeah. done a really good job. So why shouldn't they get an opportunity to be sold? Well, that that's my my feeling. And I I at first thought that the program wasn't maybe uh, clear enough in the way that it was being delivered. The me again message. And so we have been very uh, going out quite a lot and talking about how it's different, why it's different. When not only to uh, members but farmers uh, in El Salvador this year were very confused. Like, so it's not a COE, it, and I'm like, no, it didn't make the COE international. You know, uh, 86 plus 
but it's clearly this score and we can tell you know like it the score kind of dictates the program but the messaging hasn't caught up with what it needs to be and how it needs to kind of be delivered and so i think really we i see some traction around mexico um we saw you know i think the five or six caught no there were eight total that we had obviously an issue with that this year um but uh we we saw a, a lot of aggressive bidding that that auction structure is five days so it's it's basically a tuesday to saturday or a monday to friday and the normal you know coe auction is a wednesday or a thursday so i already see some overlap even when we were looking at the schedule people were like okay so why is that a different auction date than these and so you know there again that's like you know better messaging understand why these are different or do we do them at different weeks so that they're clearly identified? I like the idea of, I mean, there's, there are times, there's a couple of times I've been bidding on Cup of Excellence auctions and I've gone to the bathroom and come back and the auction's <laughs> closed and missed out on something. Right. And this gives you another opportunity still to be able to go in afterwards, doesn't it? So oh, yeah. if it finishes on a Thursday, you've still got till Saturday to bid on the, the national winners. Yep. Um, yeah, and you, you can like. still throw your proxy in and say, you know, I'll, you know, I'll hope that Friday when I wake up, it's it's still there. Mm -hmm. Now you know you know that there's still that deadline, and it, it but it closes on a firm timeline. Whereas COE, it's it catches you out. I mean, I remember yeah. being stuck at work at an auction once till like nine o'clock at night, and I was like, I'm going to go home and carry this on. And by the time I got home, it had closed, and I lived like ten minutes away. Uh, it was very frustrating. Yeah. Uh, and but I, and the proxy bids, like proxy bids are great, but you never really put your proper proxy bid in because it's just it's too dangerous. It, um, it is, yeah, you're right, yeah. you're right. But yeah, I think the Nationals, it, I, I think when we get into, you know, year three and we, we see some, you know, uh, maybe more distinction. And, and you know, uh, the, the concern I have is that um, uh, controlling how those coffees are sold. And I'm a little worried that people are like, well, I bought it through the Cup of Excellence. So it's like, well, no, you bought it through the Alliance of Coffee Excellence, but it's actually a national winner. So now all of a sudden, we're already talking about three brands, right? You know, I mean, brand, whatever. Yeah, no, Alliance, COE, and now national winners. And to me, that that's a lot of heavy lifting to kind of get the clarity to members where they're like, okay, I, I very much understand what these three programs are and what the Alliance does and how it facilitates the COE and where the national winners play out. And... So, you know, I think we just have to keep driving at that. And we've got some countries where there's two or three. And then some today, as we found out, there'll be 13. So it's going to be a robust program here for Burundi to see how that plays out. That's going to be a lot of copies to sell on top of an auction of 23? 20, uh, 23, yeah, 23. Yeah, it's so be a lot this of could be this could be a, a tough one. And, um, you know, I, I don't know. It, it's going to be interesting. But I do think, I keep going back to that. The, the, these are coffees that are farmer ID'd, uh, they've been vetted, they're there, they're ready to be consolidated with other coffees and, and other uh, buys that, you know, certain, uh, you know, roasters and importers are making, so... Or other cup of excellence, lots of them may be buying at the same time. <laughs> yeah, and, and that, that consolidation makes sense to me, so, yeah. um, but, you know, it, it's, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting how this next year plays out, but so far the centrals have done pretty well. So what's the future? What, 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 tell, like, give us a sneak peek of what you see the next 12 months, two years, turning into with Ace. I mean, do you just see consolidation of getting the programs back up and running? Do you see growth? I mean, mm. I know I've heard rumbles that, you know, it wouldn't be good to do something in Ethiopia, wouldn't it be good to do something in Kenya, you know. Sure. And particularly when you've got a model that's working here in Burundi, there's, there's no reason why you couldn't take that to somewhere else so have you got plans yeah. for that no that's a great question it's definitely um you know something i i i you know the idea for me and originally coming on board was that we have to expand and and certainly the board has has voiced that and uh talking with key folks like jeff and will about you know we've always wanted to grow into other countries and the whole idea of east africa was to go beyond rwanda and beyond burundi and and, and i and i feel pretty committed to, to delivering on that and I do think that you know each country in East Africa has different dynamics that could make it uh, very difficult to to really do or to even do a, a pilot and or a regional to work to a pilot um, but I'd, I'd like to at least consider that I that idea and I and we've been approached by uh, various folks that are in East Africa that want to see us and other you know people want to see us come to Uganda or come to Tanzania and, I, and then we have to look at 
well, you know, the, you know, Susie and I had this great talk early on about like, always look at it from the lens is, are there 90 plus coffees there? Are there, are there 90 and above coffees that could support the whole structure? And, 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 you know, not to say that, that 86 to 90 isn't uh, considered, but she's like, think about those presidential winners. And that's the goal. Like that's the bar. And then everything would fill in around that. And so, you know, not to say that any, any one country couldn't produce it, but to do it in a way where could you get repeatability in Congo? Could you get repeatability in Tanzania? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some people might say that could be difficult, but Ethiopia, everyone's pretty much like, of course. So, you know, there's recognition of coffee um, advancement. I mean, there is the of course, but like for me, Cup of Excellence is about finding <clears throat> a longer term relationship for buyers. So yeah. like, it's not just about the competition lot, it's about what comes after. And yeah. I think the problem with somewhere like Ethiopia is the inconsistency of what you're working with a lot of the time. Yeah. Uh, it can be very yeah. difficult to have those extra benefits. I mean, they're doing the Taste of Harvest competition. I've been lucky enough to do Ethiopia and Kenya on Taste of Harvest. Right. I mean, is that not something that maybe, um, this has just popped into my head, so you sure. have to excuse yeah, me. Yeah, no, no, I love that. But it's yeah. like, you know, is that something that maybe Cup of Excellence could link up with the AFCA and kind of go, we'll help you do this properly and we'll give you an auction platform to sell it all on as well? Yeah. Because that's always screamed out at me as the obvious answer. Yeah, um, yeah. And that way, we that's a feeder into the, these countries. And, and, and Samuel from AFCA, and we've talked a couple different times in the last few months about you know, let's do something. And but I haven't thought about you know um, maintaining programs or existing competitions. Yeah. And and why not? They, they that concept of you know East Africa as a competitive you know annual event. Um, you know we have a lot of expertise in, in in running and conducting events, and and they already have the program in terms of um, you know we have a we have an annual event, and this is when it occurs, and we bring judges, and so you know I, I think it's a great idea. I would I would be very much open to that because at this point we've been going at it from the you know by country yeah. you know thought which is what we've always done and and uh with the exception of looking at indonesia and that's the other thing that um we oh, will please please can i do indonesia <laughs> please 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 yeah we, like you either love it or hate it but like i so love indonesia like it's so cool i i i'm i am really excited about this and um we've been talking to scai um, we did in Seattle this year. Um, they initially said we just want to do a cupper camp, and and with the hope that we could build towards something. And I'm like, how do we do, you know, an inner island uh, national program with this complex culture of Indonesia? Java and, to Sumatra. Uh, to and, you know, and, and and it was so great because the, the folks from SCI were like, well, let's just focus on Java. Yeah. Let, let's let's do this island. Let's focus on that as an idea. So that's the idea for 18, is that we could potentially look at you know fall of 2018 where we would do a pilot, and so they they they're feeling very strong about this being something that we want to do, and and um, I I'm 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 would very much like to do that, and then we could start to kind of figure out okay, well we do, you know, Sumatra at a certain time, Flores, Sulawesi. Um, and and c- kind of consider it from that point of view. So th- that that's another thing in the future that I'm like really looking forward to. We get a lot of requests to move back into Bolivia. And, oh, don't! You know, no, yeah. no, I don't want anybody stealing my copy. That's all my <laughs> back right off. Okay, I'll <laughs> check that off the list. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I mean, but, uh, that, I mean, I found my Bolivia contacts through Cup of Excellence, and and the potential there is huge. I mean, it's just it's immense. I would love to see Cup of Excellence back in Bolivia. Yeah, we'll we'll see. I you know I I you know I haven't really got you know the feelers out there, but um, it, it's certainly. Uh, in origin that uh, Allegro at the time when I was with them um, opened up COE opened up all these doors for us yeah. and Takezi was one of the partners and yeah. Paul Songer who actually kind of led the way for us to get into Bolivia oh. so um, I'd love to be able to circle back with them and um, Ecuador is another place that I would really like to work and so you know beyond that I think the idea of doing more innovative things within countries uh, uh, and I, when I mean innovation I mean like you know, the question of why are honeys and naturals and washed all on the same table? What are you going to do about it? And I'm like, I don't know, but I know we need to do something about that. I know that it's, it's, it's to me, a, a, a skilled judge, a cupper, should be able to embrace all 
um, you know, that's what we processes. do in our daily lives at work. Yeah, and <laughs> you know, it's yeah, and and I, I and so maybe that means that you know when we work with the juries, they really understand what's being put in front of them. That you know we're going to throw some honeys and some washed and some naturals and you now now literally the placement and how the tables work we've done some creative things this year mm -hmm. where we actually um we didn't just you know jump them in between each other mm -hmm. because it is hard to kind of switch gears but we would say you know just know that that table you know that you will probably be seeing some coffees towards the end or the beginning um, that are grouped yeah and and that way you're calibrating a little you know you're not giving anybody any real information anybody that doesn't know okay that that's the natural i'm shocked you know although i will say in guatemala this year um you know the number one winner the parasha uh you know really surprised a lot of us because it was a natural and it was uh, the one of the cleanest coffees that i had seen and uh you know i think it was an anaerobic process too if i had it right and um i i, I had to kind of pull myself back and go really that okay all right all right I find, myself, I find myself more and more as processes get better and better doing that that was washed yeah that was natural yeah. like, like because it, it doesn't mean anything anymore yeah. it can be um it, it, it becoming a less dominant flavor which is mm -hmm. which is fantastic processing should never be tasted yeah it should uh yeah it's good when it's not there yeah. um Darren, we've been talking for like 50 minutes. Who oh, knew? Cool. Who knew? <laughs> um, thank you so much for coming on. Um, it's a pleasure. Thank you for a, a great cup of excellence here in Bolivia. I, I Bolivia. Burundi. Burundi. Yeah. Um, and, um, enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, seminal message. Let's go to Bolivia yeah, again. Right. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I obviously was... Uh, quite critical of, of what happened at the time I'm pleased to see these programs come back on and I'm only critical because I absolutely love this program it's like for me it's found probably 70% of the people I buy coffee from I found through Cup of Excellence and it's such an important tool for not just old buyers like me and trust me <laughs> yeah. this week I feel really old they're know, way too young, young here <laughs> it's very scary but also for like for, for new buyers coming in it is that discovery tool that I think is is really missing in coffee and um, you know it fills that void that nobody else fills mm. like other people have tried to do things and you know Taste of Harvest is a good example but mm -hmm. it doesn't quite have the same rigorous protocols and rigorous um, jury selections that make Cup of Excellence what it is mm, yeah, um, yeah. so I'm really pleased to see things changing uh, and I, I really hope that continues and, and, and say thank you very much for coming on here. Oh, no, it was really fun. Thank, thank you. Thank you for yeah. the whiskey as well. Yeah, this is absolutely <laughs> delicious. <laughs> I've, I've drunk it way too quickly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but thank you all for listening and um, over and out. Thanks for listening to this podcast. It's proudly brought to you by Nuova Simonelli.